Chapter 19 of Across Mongolian Plains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Across Mongolian Plains by Roy Chapman Andrews. Chapter 19 The Hunting Park of the Eastern Tombs. The sunshine of an early spring day was flooding the flower filled courtyards of Duke. Zai Zi's palace in Peking, when Dr. G. D. Wilder, Everett Smith, and I alighted from our car at the huge brass-bound gate. We came by motor instead of rickshaw, for we were on an official visit which had been arranged by the American minister. We would have suffered much loss of face had we come in any lesser vehicle than an automobile, for we were to be received by a royal highness, an imperial duke, and a man in whose veins flowed the bluest of Manchu blood. Although living in retirement, Duke Zai Zi is still a powerful and a respected man. We are ushered through court after court into a large reception hall, furnished in semi-foreign style but in excellent taste. A few moments later the Duke entered, dressed in a simple gown of dark blue silk. Had I met him casually on the street, I should have known he was a personality. His high-bred features were those of a maker of history, of a man who has faced the ruin of his own ambitions, who has seen his emperor deposed and his dynasty shattered, but who has lost not one whit of his poise or self-esteem. He carried himself with a quiet dignity, and there was a royal courtesy in his greeting which inspired profound respect. Had he been marked for death in the revolution, I am sure that he would have received his executioners in the same calm way that he met us in the reception hall. He listened with a courteous interest while we explained the object of our visit. We had come, we told him, to ask permission to collect natural history specimens in the great hunting park at the Tung Ling Eastern Tombs. Here and at the Hees Ling, or Western Tombs, the Manchu emperors and the royal consorts sleep in splendid mausoleums among the fragrant pines. The emperors are buried at the lower end of a vast-walled park, more than one hundred miles in length. True to their reverence for the dead, the Chinese conquerors have never touched these sacred spots, and doubtless will never do so. They belong unquestionably to the Manchus, even if their dynasty has been overthrown by force of arms. According to custom, some member of the royal court is always in residence at the eastern tombs. This fact Zai Zi gravely explained, and said that he would commend us in a letter to Duke Chow, who would be glad to grant us the privileges we asked. Then, by touching his teacup to his lips, he indicated that our interview was ended. With the same courtesy he would have shown to a visiting diplomat, he ushered us through the courtyards, while at each doorway we begged him to return. Such is the custom in China." That same afternoon a messenger from the duke arrived at my house in Wu Liang, Tajen Hutang, bearing a letter beautifully written in Chinese characters. Everett Smith and I left next morning for the eastern tombs. We went by train to Tung Chou, twelve miles away, where a mafu was waiting with our ponies and a cart for baggage. The way to the Tung Ling is a delight for along it North China country life passes before one in a panoramic completeness. For centuries this road has been an imperial highway. I could imagine the gorgeous processions that had passed over it, 
and the pomp and ceremony of the visits of the living emperors to the resting places of the dead most vivid of all was the picture in my mind of the last great funeral only nine years before i could see the imperial yellow beer slowly solemnly borne over the grey peking hills in it lay the dead body of the dowager empress zu he most dreaded yet most beloved the greatest empress of the last century the woman who tasted of life and power through the sweetest joys to their bitter core we spent the first night at an inn on the outskirts of a tiny village it was a clean inn too very different from those in south china the great courtyard was crowded with arriving carts in the kitchen dozens of tired mafus were noisily gulping huge bowls of macaroni and others stretched upon the keng had already become shapeless bundles of dirty rags after dinner smith and i wandered outside the court an open-air theatre was in full operation a few yards from the inn and all the village had gathered in the street but we were of more interest to the audience than the drama itself and in an instant a score of men and women had surrounded us they were all good-natured but frankly curious finally an old man joined the crowd why said he there are two foreigners immediately the hum of voices ceased for age was speaking they've got foreign clothes he exclaimed and what funny hats it is true that foreign hats are much bigger than chinese caps and they cost a lot more too see that gun the tall one is carrying he could shoot those pigeons over there as easily as not all of them with one shot probably he will in a minute the old man continued the lecture until we strolled back to the inn undoubtedly he is still discussing us for there is little to talk about in a chinese village except crops and weather and local gossip we reached the eastern tombs in the late afternoon of the same day emerging from a rocky gateway on the summit of a hill we had the whole panorama of the tung ling spread out before us it was like a vast green sea where wave after wave of splendid forest rolled away to the blue haze of distant mountains the islands in this forest ocean were the yellow-roofed tombs which gave back the sun in a thousand points of golden light after the monotonous brown of the bare north china hills the vivid green of the trees was as refreshing as finding an unknown oasis in a sandy desert to the right was the picturesque village of ma lin yu the residence of duke chow from the wide veranda of the charming temple which we were invited to occupy we could look across the brown village to the splendid park and the glistening yellow roofs of the imperial tombs we found next day that it is a veritable paradise a spot of exquisite beauty where profound artistic sentiment has been magnificently expressed broad paved avenues bordered by colossal animals sculptured in snow-white marble lead through the trees to imposing gates of red and gold there is too a delightful appreciation of climax as one walks up a spacious avenue passing through gate after gate each more magnificent than the last one is being prepared by this cumulative splendor for the tomb itself one feels everywhere the dignity of space there is no smallness no crowding one feels the greatness of the people that has done these things a race that looks at life and death with a vision as broad as the skies themselves at the tun ling nature has worked hand in hand with man to produce a harmonious whole most of the trees about the tombs have been planted 
but the work has been cleverly done there is nothing glaringly artificial and you feel as though you are in a well-groomed forest where every tree has grown just where in nature's scheme of things it ought to be although the tombs are alike in general plan they are at the same time as individual as were the emperors themselves each is a subtle expression of the character of the one who sleeps beneath the yellow roof the tomb of Qianlong, the artist emperor lies not far away from that of the empress dowager stately beautiful in its simplicity it is an indication of his life and deeds in striking contrast is the palace built by the empress for her eternal dwelling a woman of iron will holding her place by force and intrigue a lover of lavish display she has expressed it all in her gorgeous tomb the extravagance of its decoration and the wealth of gold and silver seemed to declare to all the world her desire to be known even in death as the greatest of the great it is said that her tomb cost ten million dollars and i can well believe it but a hundred years from now when chien lung's mausoleum like the painting of an old master has grown even more beautiful by the touch of age that of the empress will be worn and tarnished charmed with the calm the peace the exquisite beauty of the spot we spent a delightful day wandering among the red and gold pavilions but fascinating as were the tombs we were really concerned with the hinterland the hunting park itself sixty miles to the north but still within the walls are towering mountains and glorious forests these were what we had come to see all day behind three tiny donkeys we followed a tortuous foaming stream in the bottom of a splendid valley ever going upward at night we slept in the open and next day crossed the mountain into a forest of oak and pine sprinkled with silver birches hundreds of woodcutters passed us on the trail each carrying a single log upon his back before we reached the village of xing lun shan we came into an area of desolation thousands of splendid trees were lying in a chaos of charred and blackened trunks it was the wantonness of it all that depressed and horrified me the reason was perfectly apparent on every bit of open ground manchu farmers were at work with plough and hoe the land was being cleared for cultivation regardless of all else north china has very little timber so little in fact that one longs passionately to get away from the bare hills yet in this forest paradise the trees were being sacrificed relentlessly simply to obtain a few more acres on which the farmer could grow his crops if it had to be done in heaven knows it need not have been the trees might have been utilized for timber many have been cut of course but thousands upon thousands have been burned simply to clear the hillside at xing lung shang we met our hunters and continued up the valley for three hours with every mile there were fewer open spaces we had come to a region of vast mountains gloomy valleys and heavy forests the scenery was superb it thrilled me as did the mountains of yun nang and the gorges of the yangtze yet all this grandeur is less than one hundred miles from peking on a little ridge between the two foaming streams we made our camp in the forest from the door of the tent we could look over the tops of the trees into the blue distance of the valley behind us was a wall of forest broken only by the winding corridor of the mountain torrent we had come to the tung ling specially to obtain specimens of the sika deer 
cervus hortolorum and the reeves pheasant cermaticus reevesi the former a noble animal about the size of our virginia deer in america has become exceedingly rare in north china the latter one of the most beautiful of living birds is found now in only two localities near Aicheng on the yangtze river and at the tung ling when the forests of the eastern tombs have been cleared the species will be extinct in all north china early in the morning we left with six hunters our way led up the bottom of the valley toward a mountain ridge north of camp as we walked along the trail suddenly one of the hunters caught me by the arm and whispered sang chi wild chicken there was a whir of wings a flash of gold and i registered a clean miss the bird alighted on the mountainside and in the bliss of ignorance smith and i dashed after it ten minutes later we were exhausted from the climb and the pheasant had disappeared we learned soon that it is useless to chase a reeves pheasant when it has once been flushed for it will invariably make for a mountainside run rapidly to the top and once over the summit fly to another ridge on the way home i got my first pheasant and an hour later put up half a dozen i should have had two more but instead of shooting i only stared fascinated by the beauty of the thing i saw it was late in the afternoon and the sun was drawing oblique paths of shimmering golden light among the trees in a clearing near the summit of a wooded shoulder i saw six pheasants feeding and i realized that by skirting the base of the ridge i could slip up from behind and force them to fly across the open valley the stalk progressed according to schedule when i crossed the ridge there was a whir of wings and six birds shot into the air not thirty feet away the sun glancing on their yellow backs and streaming plumes transformed them into golden balls each one with a comet trail of living fire the picture was so indescribably beautiful that i watched them sail across the valley with a gun idle in my hands not for worlds would i have turned one of those glorious birds into a crumpled mass of flesh and feathers for centuries the barred tail plumes which sometimes are six feet long have been worn by chinese actors and the bird is famous in their literature be a real tragedy when this species has passed out of the fauna of north china as it will do inevitably if the wanton destructionness of the tung ling forest is continued unchecked the next afternoon four sika deer gave me a hard chase up and down three mountain ridges finally we located the animals in a deep valley and i had an opportunity to examine them through my glasses much to my disgust i saw that the velvet was not yet off the antlers and that their winter coats were only partly shed they were valueless as specimens and forthwith i abandoned the hunt before leaving peking i had visited the zoological garden to make sure that the captive sika had assumed their summer dress and antlers but at the tung ling spring had not yet arrived and the animals were late in losing their winter hair in summer the sika is the most beautiful of all deer its bright red body spotted with white is when seen among the green leaves of the forest one of the loveliest things in nature we wished to obtain a group of these splendid animals for the new hall of asiatic life in the american museum of natural history but the specimens had to be in perfect summer dress my hunter was disgusted beyond expression when i refused to shoot the deer the antlers of the sika when in the velvet are of greater value to the natives than those of any other species 
a good pair of horns in full velvet sometimes sells for as much as four hundred and fifty dollars the growing antlers are called shu chiao blood horns by the chinese who consider them of the highest efficacy as a remedy for certain diseases therefore the animals are persecuted relentlessly and very few remain even in the tung ling the antlers of the wapiti are also of great value to the native druggist but strangely enough they care little for those of the moose and the roebuck hundreds of thousands of deer horns are sent from the interior provinces of china to be sold in the large cities and the complete extermination of certain species is only a matter of a few decades moreover the female elk just before the calving season receive unmerciful persecution for it is believed that the unborn fawns have great medicinal properties since the roebuck at the tung ling were in the same condition as the sika they were useless for our purposes the goral however which live high up on the rocky peaks had not begun to shed their hair and they gave us good shooting one beautiful morning smith killed a splendid ram just above our camp we had often looked at a ragged granite outcrop sparsely covered with spruce and pine trees which towered a thousand feet above us we were sure there must be a goral somewhere on the ridge and the hunters told us that they sometimes killed them there it was a stiff climb and we were glad to rest when we reached the summit the old hunter placed smith opposite an almost perpendicular face of rock and stationed me beyond him on the other side three beaters had climbed the mountain a mile below us and were driving up the ridge for half an hour i lay stretched out in the sun luxuriating in the warmth and breathing in the fragrant odor of the pines while i was lazily watching a chinese green woodpecker searching for grubs in a tree near by there came the faintest sound of a loosened pebble on the cliff above my head instantly i was alert and tense a second later smith's rifle banged once then all was still in a few moments he shouted to me that he had fired at a big goral but that it had disappeared behind the ridge and he was afraid it had not been hit the old hunter however had seen the animal scramble into a tiny grove of pine trees as it had not emerged i was sure the goral was wounded and when the men climbed up the cliff they found it dead bored neatly through the centre of the chest goral's sika and roebuck are by no means the only big game animals in the tung ling bears and leopards are not uncommon and occasionally a tiger is killed by the natives among other species is a huge flying squirrel nearly three feet long badgers and chipmunks a beautiful squirrel with tufted ears which is almost black in summer and now is very rare and dozens of small animals but perhaps most interesting of all the creatures of these noble forests are the only wild monkeys to be found in northeastern china the birds are remarkable in variety and numbers besides the reeves pheasant of which i have spoken there are two other species of this most beautiful family one the common ring-necked pheasant is very abundant the other is the rare pucrasia a gray bird with a dark red breast and a yellow striped head surmounted by a conspicuous crest it is purely a mountain form requiring a mixed forest of pine and oak and although more widely distributed than the reese pheasant it occurs in comparatively few localities of north china one morning as smith and i were coming back from hunting we saw our three boys perched upon a ledge above the stream peering into the water they called to us would you like some fish of course we answered but how can you get them 
in a second they had slipped from the rock and were stripping off their clothes then one went to the shallows at the lower end of the pool and began to beat the surface with a leafy branch while the other two crouched on the boulders in midstream suddenly one of the boys plunged his head and arms into the water and emerged with a beautiful speckled trout clutched tightly in both hands he had seen the fish swim beneath the rock where it was cornered and had caught it before it could escape for an hour the two boys sat like kingfishers absolutely motionless except when they dived into the water of course they often missed but when they were ready to go home they had eight beautiful trout several of them weighing as much as two pounds the stream was full of fish and we would have given worlds for a rod and flies lou baked a loaf of cornbread in his curious little oven made from a standard oil tin we found a jar of honey in our stores brook trout fried in deep bacon fat regular southern style cornbread and honey apple pie coffee and cigarettes the hardships of camping in the orient when we had been in camp a week we awoke one morning to find a heavy cloud of smoke drifting up the valley evidently a tremendous fire was raging and smith and i set out at once on a tour of investigation a mile down the valley we saw the whole mountainside ablaze it was a beautiful sight i admit but the destruction of that magnificent forest appalled us fortunately the wind was blowing strongly from the east and there was no danger that the fire might sweep northward in the direction of our camp as we emerged into a tiny clearing occupied by a single log hut we saw two chinese sitting on their heels placidly watching the roaring furnace across the valley with a good deal of excitement we asked them how the fire possibly could have originated oh said one we started it ourselves in the name of the five gods why did you do it smith asked well you see returned the chinese there was quite a lot of brush here in our clearing and we had to get rid of it today the wind was right so we set it on fire but don't you see that you have burned up that whole mountain's side destroyed thousands of trees and absolutely ruined this end of the valley oh yes but never mind it can't be helped the native answered then i exploded i frankly confess that i cursed that chinese and all his ancestors which is the only proper way to curse in china i assured him that he was an old rabbit and that his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather were rabbits to tell a man that he is even remotely connected with a rabbit is decidedly uncomplimentary in china but when it was all said i had accomplished nothing the man looked at me in blank amazement as though i had suddenly lost my mind he had not the faintest idea that burning up that beautiful forest was reprehensible in the slightest degree to him and all his kind the only thing worth while was to clear that bit of land in the valley if every tree on the mountain was destroyed in the process what difference did it make it would be done eventually anyway land whether it be on a hill or in a valley was made to grow crops and to be cultivated by chinese farmers the wanton destruction which is being wrought at the tung ling makes me sick at heart here is one of the most beautiful spots in all china within less than one hundred miles of peking which is being ruined utterly as fast as axe and fire can do the work one can travel the length and breadth of the whole republic and not find elsewhere so much glorious scenery in so small a space moreover it is the last sanctuary of much of north china's wildlife when the forests of the tung ling are gone half a dozen species of birds and mammals will become extinct 
how much of the original flora of north china exists today only in these forests i would not dare to say for i am not a botanist but it can hardly be less than the fauna of which i know if china could but realize before it is too late how priceless a treasure is being hewed and burned to nothingness and take the first step in conservation by making a national park of the eastern tombs politically there are difficulties it is true the tung ling and all the surroundings as i have said belong unquestionably to the manchus and they can do as they wish with their own but it is largely a question of money and were the republic to pay the price for the forests and mountains beyond the tombs it would not be difficult to do the rest no country on earth ever had a more splendid opportunity to create for the generations of the present and the future a living memorial to its glorious past end of chapter nineteen end of across mongolian plains by roy chapman andrews